everyone. This is Stars in Another Sky, a podcast about international students and immigrants all over the U.S. My name is Ioana Varganiti, and today I'm incredibly happy and honored to be joined by Leticia and Amulia, two of my fellow international students and friends at Ithaca College. I am so happy to have you. Thank you for joining me. And here you go. <laughs> um, I'm going to give you a chance to introduce yourself to our audience. Yeah, so I'm Leticia. Um, I major in biology and Spanish here at Ithaca College. I use she, her pronouns. And yeah, um, at Ithaca College, I'm also the current international student senator um, in our okay. student government. Um, and I'm really excited to be a part of this conversation today. So good to have you. Uh, thank you for having me here, Ioana. I'm Amulia. I'm from India and I'm a English and politics double major at Ithaca. Um, I use she, her pronouns and I'm also the um, assistant director for the New Voices Literary Festival this year. And I'm really looking forward to this, to talking to Ioana and Leticia. I'm also looking forward. I feel like both of you are such incredible women and we have so many beautiful things to share and talk about that concern our community and ourselves. I'm, I'm really excited. Also about me, I also use she, her, hers pronouns. I'm a writing major. Um, I'm also a student guide at the New Voices Literary Festival. That's how me and Amulia met. Um, I'm really excited um, for <laughs> next semester also, um, since we're finally gonna get a chance to hopefully go back on campus with the vaccine, which is definitely something that I wanna talk about with you. Um, but as for the episode, I wanted to invite both of you here so we can talk about the, the state of our learning experience right now, being students at Ithaca College and being under the hybrid model. So students have the option to be in classes in person, but certain classes are still exclusively online. Um, but also students have the opportunity to exclusively take their classes online if they wish to. Um, so I feel that being international students, being immigrants in the US, that's definitely something that's affecting not only our learning experience, but also our personal experiences as people and as a community dealing with not just dealing with the pandemic but dealing with learning how to adapt in this new situation and i really want to get leticia's perspective on it who is um on campus at the moment and who has um a lot more connections to the international community that is on campus as the international senator and Amulia, I know you're in India, and I know you have a crazy hour difference. 
I thought I thought I had a crazy hour difference because I'm seven hours ahead. But then when we had class, you were like, it's it's like 2 a.m. here. And I was like, oh, my God. And we were just starting. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> but yeah, um, so starting off, um, I, I want to ask you, Leticia, um, what do you think one of the most prominent issues that the international community on campus is facing at the moment from your knowledge and your experience? Um, I think on campus and even off campus, this applies um, to some degree as well, is that some of the classes that have been designated as hybrid classes and um, can like suit students on or off campus doing virtually or in person um, should not have been designated as hybrid classes uh, because I think what has been, um, I think successful for the most part, obviously with its certain challenges um, at some points are the online classes that are strictly online um, because at that point, all of the students receive kind of the same um, instruction and the same guidelines, um, not considering the extra time differences that a lot of international students are dealing with. But um, certain hybrid classes don't really apply with that because um, cert like the mode of instruction, if, it, if it's like in class and the audio stops working, that cuts off um, a bunch of students who are like primarily taking it online obviously um and also all the technical issues that happens within the classrooms and just like the short time frame that we have to switch from class to class um mm -hmm. i found that this semester has been really crazy in terms of um that 10 minute gap that we usually have between classes that um can work when we're all here on campus is a little bit odd now because uh, the classes are located at like extreme um, places. Um, for example, one of my classes, um, it's at the A&E Center. Um, and then 10 minutes over, I have to be at Job Hall. But then you also have to clean up your space because of like this uh, health and safety guidelines. Mm -hmm. And all of that takes an additional time that we're not really accounting for. Um, and then beyond that as well, um, just certain hybrid classes, as much as you try to adapt it for people who are doing it online, it's not really effective and you're not getting the same exposure or experience. So I think that does a disservice for our students whose only option is to take it online. Um, so yeah, so hopefully next semester, um, we will be able to be more, all of us more in person um, and be able to have the same access to all of these resources, but if certain classes are still going to be offered as hybrid for next semester, I think we need to reevaluate like which of those classes are really appropriate and which um, are not. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Also, as a clarification um, for people watching this who are not from Ithaca College, the A&E Center is one of our on-campus gyms and like track buildings and job hall is another building where classes are being conducted which is very far there yeah. they have a fair a fair amount of distance between them um yeah but thank you so much leticia um i i completely agree and 
also I feel like being online I also experience this in a different way but I feel that time when I'm in classes time is just going by so fast and you know just being in front of the screen all all the time you're like essentially glued to your computer so you're like okay now it's like 6 50 and I have to be in my next class by 7 p.m um I don't like I don't even understand when those 10 minutes go by but then when I was on campus and things were normal um I would like go get my coffee and like run to my next class but I don't know it just the passage of time felt different I don't know if you can relate Amulia oh yeah I can definitely definitely relate to that the the way time works is um it goes by like you said really quickly and it also feels completely disconnected from an actual um, college experience and that also kind of disconnects you not just from what's going on in class but your fellow classmates and um, it makes uh, distance learning hard for people who also learn from interaction Mm. and yeah I, I definitely agree about the time especially when it's three in the morning and you have no sense of of whether it's happening in the day or night really because three, four in the morning is too early for day, but too late really for night. It's kind of in between. So <laughs> I remember I remember you were saying in the class when we're having a check-in um, with everyone that sometimes you don't sleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, sometimes. I used to actually before um, daylight savings uh, hit again. Um, Our class used to end at 3.45 in the morning. So my body just didn't want to go to sleep. And it makes sense, I feel like, that your Uh body doesn't feel safe. Yeah. Um, Because it's almost morning anyway. You can see the sun, you can see the sunrise in an hour. No, I, I get that. I get and you finish so late as well. Like I I definitely feel what you're talking about because when classes usually end for me, for me the latest that I end is um about twelve fifteen, twelve twenty mm-hmm. um AM and then I'm always really hyped. But by the time mm-hmm. it's like three, four PM, I've somehow taken out my energy on something else and I'm tired Mm -hmm. enough to go to sleep but then I'm like I'm not gonna wake up at a reasonable time yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. but I definitely I definitely want to focus on the disconnect that we're all talking about because Leticia as well I I can only imagine the amount of disconnect that students on campus must be feeling now and how different or odd it might be, it it must be to be on campus and to be dealing with all of this and and also to have to be incredibly responsible and, and still 
having um, worry about possibly being unsafe. So essentially ex experiencing a feeling of unsafety or possible unsafety, even when you are taking all of the necessary precautions. Yeah, I think um, at least for this semester, I was pleasantly surprised um, about how low um, in like relatively low the, the cases here in Ithaca have been, um, specifically like on our campus. Um, I think that has um, just motivated people or at least encouraged people to at least like have a notion of what we're doing, at least to some degree it is working. Um, we get tested twice a week, uh, which really helps with monitoring cases, symptoms and everything like that. So hopefully to some degree that's helping students not have to worry so much, but obviously um, as we know, like this is still like unprecedented um, circumstances and times. So, so there is that level of stress that comes with it. Um, I think, um, especially when it was colder in the beginning of the semester, when you were kind of just like stuck where you are, either in your room or just in the routine of like classes and back to your own space, that could be isolating for a lot of students, uh, especially our first year international students whose first semester on Ithaca's campus was this semester. Um, it can be hard to like form those relationships and things that kind of help us keep us grounded. Um, during normal circumstances. So I think the big thing is um, for us within our community is to just check in on folks and just to reach out to see. Um, sometimes people just want to like say hi, talk to somebody for a minute, you know. Um, mm -hmm. So now with the weather getting nicer um, and things like that, there's more chances for people to do things outside in a socially distanced way. Um, and a lot of the student employees here on campus have already um, kind of received the okay that like they're eligible to get vaccinated and everything like that. So a lot of students have been able to get access at least to either um, one vaccine or like the first dose of their um, two like step vaccine. Um, so I think that has also been helping a lot with morale, but um, I don't know. I think in general, this semester has been very weird for, our, for a lot of us here on campus. Mm -hmm. No, I fully understand. That's, that's amazing, though, that the vaccine has started to become accessible for students. Um, and I wanted to ask you, I'm not sure if you know about it, but do you know um, what's going to happen with incoming international students of all years for the new semester, if we're going to be required to have the, to have done the vaccine or how many rounds of the vaccine? I don't know if you have any information on that. I don't have that information on me right now, uh, but that's something that I'm looking into to see, um, especially um, because um, I assume things are like going to be looking very different for our next semester as well. Um, something else that I've like been looking into right now is like summer housing for students who, who don't want to travel or leave Ithaca um, to see if that is an option. Um, I know Diana has also been working with folks um, to get that information out to students as soon as possible, because um, as we know, like the earlier we have the information, the more concrete plans we can put in place. 
um, to for people to see like really what are their options moving forward. Um, so hopefully that information will come out um, in the coming weeks. Um, and yeah, so I think I think uh, those are all big things because I've I've heard from some other schools that like for the fall semester, depending on how things are, they will be requiring students to have been like fully vaccinated or at least have their first dose before they can return to campus in person. So that's really important for us to find out. Got you. Okay, that's really good to know. And also Diana is the international programs director at Ithaca College. She's doing great work and she's always really supportive of international students. Um, I So I guess I wanna ask you, Amulia, now, um, what does vaccine access look like in India where you are and how, um, how and actually how is COVID cases where you are? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you must have looked at my face. Um, uh, so India has actually been doing decent in terms of COVID deaths, but recently we've had a huge spike in new cases. Um, and it's kind of concerning for the states that are experiencing these spikes. The state that I'm in is relatively safer compared to those. Um, but it's still weird. And also, of course, um, very worrisome because it definitely has an impact on education here as well. Because uh, this is the peak um, exam season for most students in, in high school. And these are very important exams that they're going to be writing because it determines their eligibility for college, basically. So it's kind of hard mm -hmm. to do that here because now these exams are meant to be held in person. They're not designed for online execution ever. And it's going to be really hard on high school students if they're expected to take those online. So that's concerning. And as for the vaccine here, um, the rollout has actually been pretty slow because there's been a lot of controversy surrounding vaccine distribution and a lot of lawsuits actually. Uh, so now that it's actually been distributed, it's still in the very beginning stages. So we only have the very vulnerable and elderly population still receiving it. And it's gonna take a while, basically. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting that you say that because I feel the situation in Greece is very similar right now. So, um, and especially because you mentioned that exam, you said that um, it's the this exam determines if you're gonna get into university or not, yeah. and it's the only thing that determines that. Yeah, it's it's yeah. the exact same in Greece. Um, and here we've had a national lock. So I came back here in November. I spent all both of my semesters last year and the summer in the US at Ithaca, uh, but I did come back in November. And 
there was a lockdown before that but as soon as i came back like two days or three days later i think a new lockdown started to be enforced Mm -hmm. Uh, so everything closed down but when i'm saying everything everything schools shops restaurants Mm -hmm. everything has been closed and what they've been doing what the government has been doing is essentially um a hot and cold situation where they close everything and then they open something and then they close it again and it's the same for schools like they they will open schools and they're like oh there's school tomorrow and then like two weeks later they're like no no school um anymore and students have to go back and forth in this situation where they don't have the experience of getting classes in person and Mm -hmm. receiving an education in person and also having to adapt to the online model which is very complicated and it's not even complete because from seven hours that school would normally be during a day now they have classes for like four hours and the teachers are like um you're not um you're not actually learning anything but this is what we have to do so just sit there and we're gonna figure it out um yeah yeah um, I actually really relate to what you just said it's because I have um, younger cousins who are in high school right now and they've experienced the exact same thing about the four and seven hours um, gap that you mentioned. It's exactly what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it really makes it hard for them to be able to write exams the same way they would fully agree with what you're saying, Amulia, about students not being able to have a personal experience and not being able to go to school. And especially with the students who are taking the exam right now, an exam that, as you said, is meant to be taken in person. I can't even imagine what they're going through and how they must be handling that. I I didn't sit for the exam here because I took the ACT and the SAT um, to come to the US, but I know that it's one of the hardest, the hardest exams that you can sit for. So not only being worried about how you're going to take the exam and how essentially that is going to play out, but also not even having the opportunity to be in school and to to get the education needed for the exam and therefore your entry for a un- to a university. Yeah, I agree. And I think it goes back to what um, Leticia was saying before about how relationships need some kind of grounding and uh it's i i feel like that's also a lot of our 
high school and college experiences. That's what it's based in, relationships that make you um, feel a part of the whole experience, really. So the fact that we have to do this online, it's really, it's hard. Uh, but I honestly feel like it's probably harder for those in high school or even middle school, really, because of the, of, well, puberty. <laughs> That's a different kind of experience. So, yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and going off of what you're saying also, um, I think that when going through puberty or when going through a tender age, I would say, and I feel that call being in college and being a college student is one of those ages as well, because you have, it's one of the first times that you're allowed a lot of individuality and you have the opportunity, especially as an international student, um, speaking for myself, at least, I feel that being in another country and being alone and being by myself so much, this allowed me such a, a different and shifted perspective of myself, who I was, what I want in life, and such an opportunity to grow as a person. Yeah. And so much of this happened due to my relationships and the people that I became involved with, the situations that I had to experience. And I think that being in the state of the pandemic and having to deal with whatever that means for each and every one of us individually, we're constantly in a state of having to readjust and reevaluate how, how we're navigating life yeah. and what what the fuck we're doing and what we're going to do in the future. That's true. I mean, I feel like my personal experience also definitely agrees with what you said. It's very, um, it's very taxing mentally and emotionally to have to keep readjusting. Um, and it's not like it's one person or things fault that you can blame it on them for uh, you having to readjust. That's not what this is, right? So there's nothing to externalize this to either. Mm -hmm. So that causes, um, I'm sure, a lot of um, pain for people and stress. I mean, it's yeah. college. <laughs> let's talk about stress <laughs> lovely yeah so um how i i want to ask you leticia about how how um you are navigating stress on campus at the moment because i know also i'm aware that the mental health resources are very limited and i know that for international students um taking the semester remotely they're extremely limited i i don't know if there's even the opportunity 
of having access like that too on campus or school affiliated um chances to like um talk to people or just anything related to mental health but i also know that um caps the the college's mental health team and a team that's um that is um, essentially dedicated to the mental health of our students, whether that comes in the form of individual or group therapy, is very understaffed as well for the amount of students that need access to mental health. Um, so, I, and also I'm very curious about the ways that the pandemic has affected mental health services on campus and the ability of students like you who are on campus um, to have access to services. And of course, I wanna hear from your perspective and how you're feeling emotionally right now. Yeah, I think um, I think this semester is, is one of like the hardest for me. Um, definitely in in the grand scheme of like my college experience and I am sure for a lot of people it might be be similar as well um the thing that we've um I've talked to to various people from CAPS um who who manage our mental health resources for our students um and everything and um to me something that I really admired from their team is how even in these um challenging circumstances they are trying to find uh creative ways or some ways to provide resources for students um even with the challenges of like students being in other countries and other states where they won't like unfortunately won't be able to have like the traditional resources that they could have if they were on campus um Unfortunately, that's something that can't be changed due to like the legal implications and everything of that that comes with receiving um, like psychological services and counseling. But um, they've like been willing to like help create spaces to to provide alternative resources or um, still communicate with students to see how they can get them help. Um, but I think the other challenge that comes with us being on this virtual setting is that I think in some ways it can make it harder for students to reach out in the first place or or um, take the time to like do this additional thing in addition to everything else that you're like already dealing with, which can be um, like very overwhelming. So I don't know, I've, I've always been like trying to promote like the, the resources that we have here and everything, but I also found myself like during times in the semester, like knowing that I needed help or support in some way, but just not knowing what that would look like and if it would really be effective in terms of the resources that they do have available. So I think a lot of students question that like, well, even if I do reach out and even if I do go get this resource, is it really gonna help um, in, in, in that doubt? So, so I don't know how we can like keep making sure, I think like all we can do is like keep emphasizing the resources that are available um, and hopefully um, continue working with, with um, international students and other students to see what is really needed and 
what form do you want that to look like um, so that we can also have a say into how how the resources are being shaped. Mm -hmm. and, and how are you feeling right now? How are you navigating the semester and the, the stress, I imagine, of being on campus and also having so much on your plate because I know you're very dedicated to your work and also your work as a senator. Um, I'm, I'm just wondering <laughs> how, you're, how you're doing. Yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna lie, it's been very stressful. Um, and I think something I've always struggled with regardless is being able to say no to things in general because um, I, I always want to try to help folks, but I think saying no to certain things um, is necessary. And I found that out like through just some challenging ways. I don't know, like um, this semester in terms of like the academics, I think it's like what I've struggled with the most. And I had to kind of like take a, a pause and recenter myself. Um, and also going through like some family issues with like my family. Um, I'm from, I, I don't think I said in the beginning, but I'm from Sao Paulo, Brazil. Um, oh. Yeah, yeah. I, I knew that. But. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm from Brazil, and um, me and my mom are the only ones in our family who lives in the United States. So the rest of my family, from my mom's side, is in Brazil, um, and my dad's side is in Mozambique. Um, so just like I don't know, I think family really helps you keep you grounded and and like kind of gives back energy to you um and things like that so no for your mom your mom is amazing i've met <laughs> your, mom. your mom is amazing yeah. such great energy always yeah. and I'm, I'm just so blessed to have her be in the united states as well so like that proximity also so helps a lot so I don't know, this year has been really interesting in the sense that like for a great part of the pandemic, I wasn't able to come to the United States. I was in Brazil and my mom was here in the United States. So I've like never been separated from her for like such a long time, I think around like seven months. So I was just like, wow, like it really helped me rethink a lot of things. And, and yeah, so I think we've all like, into this weird places mentally emotionally um and have to like break and also re-experience certain things um and yeah it's it's been a challenge but I, I think I think in some ways it's made me stronger in terms of like what I know I can handle now and mm -hmm. I think our students here on campus also have like a I don't know it just like I think like we've, we've like been through so much that it's like like whatever else comes next we we could handle it kind of yeah I fully agree with you and how your mom really resonates with me because I I was going through a somewhat similar situation when I was in the U.S. because I was thinking the whole time I leave now I don't know if I'm gonna be able to come back and especially with um what Trump did over the summer when he suddenly decided 
that he essentially wanted to throw out international students from the country like we were leeches or parasites essentially because that's the way that the international community was being treated in in that instance and within the middle of the pandemic um I was I was very worried and that happened in the middle of the summer and I was thinking to myself that on the one hand I could have gone back home of course and not stayed and the situation um I, I I would have still been able to come back, but at the same time, I can't even imagine being abroad and having to deal with something like this, like thinking, oh, am I going to be able to go back to school next semester if I need to? Um, I don't know about you, Amunglia, did you, were you in India during the summer? Um, I spent most of last year in Texas with family. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, so it was a, uh, I was in, in the US over the summer when the whole Trump announcement came out about international students having to leave the country. And yeah, like you, I was also freaking out for a couple of days. And then uh, Diana was a great help in this moment, she really, um, I reached out to her and she really helped with that. And um, I, I came back to India, I think in, yeah, it was September just before classes started for the fall semester. Um, and I've been here for both the semesters, basically. Got you. Yeah, I don't know. It was, I don't know about you, Leticia, but for me, it was scary as well, mm -hmm. like thinking. And also, and also having that be the start and also um, a frequent practice of the Trump administration um, in essentially allowing his own racism, discrimination, xenophobia enter his political practices, which is what the US had to endure for the entirety of his pres presidency. But I was just thinking to myself, if this is what he's doing now, what's next? And not just for international students, for all immigrants and for all refugees in the US. Like if this is how immigrants are being treated in a time of need, um, how how that behavior is going to kickstart an even worse behavior and even worse racism and even worse xenophobia and also the ways that he was referring to the virus the way that he was calling it the chinese virus and that perpetuated so much and anti-asian racism in the u.s and like I've talked to people who have had like insane experiences with that, what that created and what um, door that opened, which was insane, essentially. Yeah, it's, it's just very, um, like, I think something that this has shown, like all of the different policies that are implemented in the immigration system as a whole in the United States. Um, we can see that for 
in many situations, international students are like greatly impacted by all of these policies and regulations. But at the same time, it's not like we have the ability to vote on any of these things or participate in any of these things to shape them. But it's something that always has an impact on us um, regardless. So it's, it's, it's something that's like very tricky. Um, but at the same time, I think specifically during the summer when all of those policies um, were coming out um, from Trump in terms of um, affecting international students, what I was looking more into was the response from our school personally, how they were going to support our community. Because um, obviously these things happening at the national level, sometimes it's really out of our control and we have to just wait and see what happens and what groups are going to, to show support and, and, and put their words into action. Um, and so I, I personally was a little bit disappointed with um, the, the, just the actions of the school in terms of, um, yes, we received the statement of support, I think that, and, and directed us to a couple of resources, but nothing really actionable in the sense of um, like, well, how can we get support with this? How can we get more information or who do we go to and everything? And I think Diana is the person in our community who as director of international programs does that a lot for us. And she's always uh, trying to advocate and, and, and push the resources towards us as well. But I think that can't be just tied down to one person in our school. It has to be tied down to all levels. Um, because I think when it's not done that way, that's when we see a lot of our main issues and concerns that we face being like left behind or being overlooked um, when there's so many like unique things that most domestic students will never experience or will never um, get the chance to, to go through, but it's still very important for us. Um, so I think we always need to just keep reminding our community and our people here at Ithaca College to, to just keep that in mind, that um, to show support is not only through our words, but through our actions and all the steps that we take afterwards. And I think we can, we, we saw that with um, the way um, our school has tried to, I guess, to show support to, to the Asian American, the Asian community here on campus, and how a lot of students did express how, how that it wasn't enough. And, and mm. we need to do better, all of us together, to, to really support each other in ways that are going to be effective and not just performative. Yeah. You, you go, Amelia. Sorry. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree that um, I feel like it's particularly with um, large institutions that we have this, um, this problem. Institutions, not just educational ones, but all kinds of institutions. It's that um, the kinds of activism or support that is shown from these institutions is usually performative. It doesn't have any um, well, challenge to it, which kind of defeats the whole point of why this is even happening. Um, and it's, it's not, I feel like it's also not, um, and it's, it's not a problem that's solely restricted to the educational sector. 
um, but it's concerning everything, really. Our entire society is an institution. So uh, that's, that's the larger picture. And when you look at it in, in details, it's much more, it, it affects you personally much more because you're actively involved in those details. And it, it's also that you have to work out those details to be able to fix the larger picture. Yeah, I fully agree with both of you. And I I really want to um, go off of both of you and just talk about exactly that aspect of performative activism by predominantly white institutions like Ithaca College. And even though I think Ithaca is one of the schools that... Um, take as a community takes pride in talking about issues of racism, talking about discrimination, talking about what affects its different communities. At the same time, as Leticia was saying, the action aspect is lacking, in my opinion, because being able to perform a certain aspect of the activism that you're trying um, to um, es essentially um, add to your learning environment is 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 common you know it's not <laughs> it's not um, something that's that hard to do in my opinion the hardest thing to do is actually, enforcing those tactics of anti-racist work, of enforcing anti-racist anti behaviors in the classrooms, in the campus community, in the dorms, in everywhere, and making sure that both your students and your faculty understand the work that needs to be done. And um, also, how students are affected by and by those behaviors, how students of color are, are affected by those behaviors. Um, and I think um, that it's, <laughs> it's just really important to start taking direct action and asking ourselves and our community and the school and the administration, of course, asking themselves, how can we do better? How can we improve the quality of life for our students and our faculty? And how can we actually be better to each other? Um, <laughs> but I'm also thinking about international students as a specific group on campus and on campuses all over the US. And that was one of the main reasons why I wanted to do this podcast and why I wanted to create this platform for us because I've said this before, but we're one of the most racially, ethnically, culturally, linguistically diverse groups on campus who have such a variety of diverse needs and different identities that need to be accommodated by the school and not just um, perform performatively 
accommodated like oh you're welcome here or this is a diverse space prove to me that this is a diverse space that i can feel comfortable in and of course that that just um entails a lot of education for the entire community that oh <laughs> we're here as well and we have needs and we're here and we exist and we're also not a caricature at the same time because i don't know about you guys but it's so many times that i've received microaggressions because of my identity in the campus community if not direct discrimination which of course has also happened to me like being told to go back to my country or you know like all the beautiful things that you can be told as an immigrant um but also experiencing a lot of microaggressions in classrooms and i'm gonna start by one of the most simple ones people constantly mispronouncing your name and even after you correct them and you're like no this is my name and you correct them again and again and again and again and it's like um so i feel that um on the one hand there's a welcoming energy and um a want to welcome um students of diverse groups but at the same time not knowing exactly how to do that and what that looks like in practice and the work and education that that requires in order for all of us to be able to better understand and coexist with each other i'm sorry that was long <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I think uh, one of the things that um, has been on my mind for, for a while now is um, how in terms of like putting the things that you mentioned in practice, um, I don't know, it's been so long, but our, our orientation, how we have like a separate international orientation within um, our community. Um, I think we got a lot of information and resources that were great then. But I think that would have also been a wonderful opportunity to also, because I, I think I remember we had like a workshop on culture shock and things like that, but also just um, like kind of preparing you in a sense or, or giving you resources to, to know that depending on what you look like, depending on um, how um, like the world here, like I mean, in the sense of like being in the United States, is going to receive your identity or or treat you based on how you look like to prepare yourself to see your own identity in a different light because depending on where you're coming from and in, in your cultural context and everything like that um you might be like a part of a racial or religious or ethnic majority in your country and you're living life a certain way and experiencing life a certain way but um suddenly when you're here in the united states um nothing has changed physically about you but obviously the way people are treating you the way the world and these spaces are receiving you is going to be different depending on on what you look like and where you're from so preparing um international students especially 
those who are part of racial minority groups within the United States for that as well. Um, but also not just educating us and, and educating us, but educating our, our peers in their orientations and their um, entering into, into college as well as to um, having more um, cultural awareness or, or more cultural education in terms of learning about different, uh, different cultures and different contexts and the people that you're going to be interacting with in college as well, because a lot of um, our, our interactions are just not within the faculty, it's within each other. And um, like just preparing each other to, to, to be a community really, yeah. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And that's such a good point because, and I think that the U.S. is just so unique in that, if you like, in essentially having this identity um, classification receive such a vivid form for students. And exactly as you said, being an international student having to get used to that as well and how people based on where you look like how people perceive you and based also how you carry yourself and how you talk and how you express yourself and your culture and that's that that those things that are so essential and innate to you that compose your entire identity and who, you, well, not your entire, but such a huge part of your identity and make you who you are and give you form as a per and essence as a person that here they can be the things that are going to be really harming for you and can cause you to feel, can make you feel unsafe or unwelcome in this country. Yeah, I uh, I completely agree with what both of you have said. I think you've both said it very beautifully too. Uh, I know that I've definitely had um, experiences where students would correct my English, even though I, I knew I was right. It's just that I grew up learning British English because I grew up in India. <laughs> it, it, it was just so confusing. <laughs> it was just so confusing because I wasn't wrong. The sentence wasn't wrong in any way. It was just a different way to speak. Um, and it it kind of shocked me in the beginning. Uh, I didn't know whether I should be embarrassed or angry or just weirded out. Um, but that uncertainty, I had the luck of dealing with that because I had support from professors who were very nice to me. And I had support from my parents as well. And I've also, I've also had the luck of being able to travel before coming to the US. I traveled a lot to Europe and Australia. So I had the chance to uh, mix and maybe not mix, but learn and observe these cultures. So, and that's a big privilege. Uh, so I know that. So this was for me, a kind of just another stepping stone really, but for students that have not had that privilege, it's not going to be that easy. Because I can imagine being told that you're speaking wrong, but in fact, that's all you've known for your entire life. It's just kind of, 
completely jarring and it can by extension be applied to your identity so building that community is definitely important in terms of having that support system and grounding for you to progress through yeah yeah i fully agree with you and just um having as you said a community that is supportive i feel like i've also been really lucky and also unlucky at this at other instances but i've been lucky enough to have professors and to have friends who understand me or if they don't understand me actually want to understand me and do the work to understand me and i feel that's just a basic human decency at the same time trying to understand each other and where everyone is coming from when you're with someone because if i don't um if we're friends and i'm not making an effort no matter who you are if i'm not making an effort to know you and to truly understand you am i are we are we really friends and also what you said about the english i i feel that and i'm a writing major like i got accepted to write in english <laughs> with a scholarship in ithaca college and people corrected my english all the time and it would be like the smallest things like as you said i also grew up mainly learning british english but having really direct contact with um, US English because of media, because of music um, and everything. Um, so I would spell like color with a U and people were like, what? Why are, you, why are you spelling it like that? That's wrong. And I'm like, okay, baby, like it's, it's not that deep, <laughs> you know? Like it doesn't have to be that deep or, um, people not understanding what you're saying just because you have an accent or correcting the way you speak. And I'm like, but are you not getting what I'm saying? Or is it so hard to, to understand me? Yeah. This thing with accents and, and just English in general as well, for, for me, it has been like an interesting like process and journey um because when when i first came to the united states when i was um eight um i had only been in brazil so it was the first country i've ever traveled to and knowing zero <laughs> of english um so wow. just like learning from like absolute zero but like being completely immersed like that's all everybody spoke um was just very challenging especially as like a kid and, you know, kids can make fun of you, like, they're relentless, but, like, um, yeah, it was just, like, a, a, a weird time, but then starting to learn it, and then, then people saying, well, where are you from, like, what's that accent, and, and everything like that, and, I mean, <laughs> like, um, at the time, like, for me, it wouldn't, like, I'm, like, well, this is just the way I talk, and then, like, over time, I, I don't know, maybe the way I speak has, like, like, really changed because most people after a certain point they're like they wouldn't assume that I'm from a different place so when a situation came up and like where I'm from came up and yeah I'm from Brazil and they're like 
really? Um, are, you, are you sure? Um, and it's just like uh, these things that are like really funny. I remember also um, our sophomore year here. Um, it was very interesting because in class I had an interaction with with a classmate. I have never seen this person again, but to me it was just like so astonishing because um, he asked where I was from and I said that I was from Brazil and he's like, oh, so you speak Spanish? And I'm like, no, no, I, I speak Portuguese. Right? And, then, and then he's like, oh, so you're, so you're Portuguese. I'm like, no, I'm Brazilian. But he's like, the, the confusion in like every time I would answer was just like really astonishing uh, to me. <laughs> and it was kind of funny to a certain degree, but at, like after a certain point, it was like, then it got to a point where he was like, well, wow, okay. Well, I didn't know there were black people in Brazil. And I'm like, wait, what? And then like, that's just like the, I was just like, so stunned. I'm like, well, yes, there are. And, and yes, I am like, um, so it's just this thing of like having to explain your culture, your identity, your country to people when there's sometimes like such little to no knowledge at all when I think a lot of us, even even me being in Brazil before I came um, at eight years old, I had so much knowledge of the United States. And I think in our countries, we get exposed to a lot of things from the US and in some ways, like naturally or not, are forced to learn their culture, but they're not forced or made to learn ours. So that dynamic is also very interesting. Yeah wow i'm so sorry you had to go through that that's yeah. that's really frustrating i'm sorry you had to experience that in the classroom and also be in a position where you have to educate the other person at the same time and which i feel so many of us go through when it comes to identity um because people because what exactly what we were saying before people not doing the work and not being willing to educate themselves as well yeah um but thank you for sharing that and um i also want to ask um about what do i want to ask let's see <laughs> I want to ask about being in class at the same time, um, since we're talking about language, what it's like to be in class and having to experience everything in English, having to read in English. Amulia, uh, you're a biology major, right? Uh, no, I'm a English no. politics major. English no. is is someone here biology? Yeah, you have biology. I got I got it. Okay, so you're English, but Leticia, you're biology. Um, for both of your majors, what it's like? Um, if you have to like memorize something, or what does that look like when? you didn't grow up with English as a as a first language and having to navigate through that. Um, 
Well, for me, actually, I grew up studying in English. Um, everything in school was in English, except, of course, the language classes. And I was also exposed to a lot of um, movies and books that were in English. And we spoke English a lot at home. I think, I mean, even now I speak English mixed with my native language sometimes. Uh, and that's also the ex like the most normal and expected form of communication. Um, so English is a very common part of the of the system here. Um, it's of, of course, this is the Indian version of English. There, there's a different. Mm -hmm. It's not um, English as you would normally expect in an English, a native English speaking country. Um, mm -hmm. And but so for me, it was it was actually really easy um, to to deal with English in class. Uh, the only difference that I have is sometimes that because I'm trilingual, so uh, I have to think, so I think in one language and then I speak in English, but sometimes the third language just butts in like, hmm, what's the word for this in this language? And it has no relevance to the discussion, but my brain just does that because it's, because yeah. I really speak all three at the same time. So that gets a little messed up sometimes. But uh, personally, I don't have like um, bigger issues than that. Yeah, um, for me, it was a little bit different um, because Portuguese was my first language and I've never learned um, English in Brazil. Usually um, I went to public school most of my, my time living in Brazil. Um, and in most public schools, there's not a lot of like languages offered, if any. Um, you usually have to go to private school or like international schools to 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 have like that language experience. And then that's also super expensive. So it's not a reality for most people in my my country. But um, when I came to the US, I started learning English in ESOL, which is um, English. Uh, for speakers of other languages, uh, the programs that they usually have in public schools here. Um, so um, like my my friend group were just like a lot of other international students were also learning or like at different levels of learning English. Um, and I think by the time I got to high school, it wasn't an issue um, for me anymore in terms of being able to just think in English, but it honestly, for me, depends on where I am or how much Portuguese I'm speaking on a day to day, because when I'm home in Brazil, um, like the switch to do English, especially um, over the summer, um, because I was taking some classes um, over the summer, was just like very hard. So like when I'm home in Brazil, it's like I, I think, speak and do everything in Portuguese. So the switch can be challenging and I found myself like what's that word like just looking for words in English and it's like wait am I losing my English but when I'm here at IC I don't think it's too much of a problem um, in the classroom or otherwise um, the switching is pretty easy for me mm -hmm. um, yeah awesome that's great okay that's really good to hear and 
yeah, I I also relate and don't relate at the same time because I also like you, Amulia, grew up um really in touch with uh English and reading because I also liked the language and I liked writing in it, I liked reading in it, but then just coming here and being exposed to speaking the language in a native level, even though it's really embedded in my culture as well. And people here speak Gricklish um, like a lot of the time or so many English words are embedded into our modern day vocabulary. Um, I don't know, I just, for some of my classes where for example, I had to memorize certain things because I'm for exams I'm always used to repeating things out loud so I can memorize them I don't know why I would just have like a very hard time doing that or like um having them stick at first and I guess that that was just the transition of being in an environment where everything is in English. And it was the first time that I had to do something like this, like memorize um, terms and um, like vocabulary that I um, wouldn't have necessarily have had to memorize before in English. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I think the conversation is reaching a closing point. I want to thank both of you so deeply for being here and for talking with me and for sharing so much about yourselves and about your experiences. It's, it's so good, um, even in those circumstances, even um, though we have to do it by Zoom and <laughs> where we don't have the opportunity to be sitting on a table and to be looking at each other right now that we're still able to come together as women as a community as international people navigating life and go going through everything right now and still um being able to rise through and achieve so much strength and perseverance and it's it's always really beautiful to witness that so I'm really grateful for both of you and thank you for being here um, and I want to finish the conversation by asking both of you what's one thing that gives you hope lately Oh, <laughs> I think that's a very good question. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, well, I think hope is something that is really needed um, right now and at all times, really, not just right now, but more so in this particular moment. Um, and one thing that really gives me hope is, oh, um, I think it's the people I'm surrounded by and my own ability to maintain stable relationships. I feel like I've kind of learned that the hard way 
Um, and in a way, I'm grateful I learned it the hard way because now I'm not going to mess that up again. Um, but it really like keeps me uh, grounded and able to progress. And progressing gives me hope going forward. Yeah, um, I agree with that as well. Um, for me as well, something that gives me hope is just, um, I don't know, I think I've noticed in this past year that um, it's been easier for for all of us in general to, to relate to one another um, and to have um, that empathy and sympathy uh, towards each other. And I think it's because of like what the world has gone through with this pandemic. I think it's it's made it a little bit easier for us to kind of like picture or or kind of have the moment to like stop and think of what it feels like to be in in difficult circumstances. Um, so I think this just yeah I think I think it's beautiful to see people being kinder to each other or just um, making room for one another as well during these times. Um, and yeah, so I'm really grateful for that. That's amazing to hear. And I agree with both of you. And I, I'm really hopeful that um, better days are ahead also and that we'll have the opportunity to be together again soon. I don't want to say that we'll be back to normal again, because I feel that the concept of normalcy and of yeah. normal life has been redefi redefined and has changed so much over the past year and a half that I don't think things will ever go back to the way they used to. And, you know, maybe that's a good thing as well because i feel that if anything everything that has happened and the whole situation worldwide with covid especially has been even a wake-up call for us on so many different levels to realize what we've been doing wrong as well and what hasn't been working out or constantly finding ways to redefine that and to redefine ourselves and our surroundings and to see what's working out and what needs to go and what needs to stay behind. Um, one thing that gives me hope uh, lately is music. I, I love listening to music. Lately I've been, um, I watched um, the show Pose for like the fifth time on Netflix and there's this song that's featured in the soundtrack, uh, Never Felt Love Like This Before, uh, Never Knew Love Like This Before by Stephanie Mills. And I just love listening to that. I, I wake up to it, <laughs> I shower with it, just making me so happy. And it just has a really hopeful and joyful energy to it. Um, once again, I really want to thank both of you. I want to thank our wonderful, our wonderful audience for interacting with the first episode so much. I want to thank all of you for listening and for tuning in and for showing the podcast so much love. Um, I really hope um, 
we keep welcoming more and more listening listeners and new members to our audience every day and that um everyone is enjoying <laughs> the podcast um i'm really i'm really excited for this journey and these conversations and for everyone that's with me um in those moments and for all the amazing people that i i have the opportunity to talk to i feel incredibly grateful and um i want once again i want to thank leticia and amulia thank you so much for being here i hope everyone all of you and your families are safe healthy and the people you love are also safe and healthy um it's a wrap (laughs) (laughs) thank you you. thank you so much bye and and tune in for the next episode